Killing Type, a novel by Wayne Jones. Chapter 16. A sleepless night in a sleepy town. Insomnia is a rare problem for me, and I haven't suffered through its enforced hyperconsciousness since I moved from Toronto. There the problem was generally some upset at the Department of English, but the advantage of living in such a large city and relatively close to downtown was that at any time of night there was always some noise or other, a distraction from pure awareness, from that state of frustration in which falling asleep seems like it requires an effort, and you are puzzled that you have ever been able to do it successfully so many other nights before. In Nosting, there is nothing but silence at three in the morning, not a sound to pierce the blanket of quiet doom which pulls itself over Andrew the insomniac. I lie in the bed and look up at the ceiling, turn my head to the left and see lights outside, turn to the right and see something hulking, which eventually reveals itself to be be my dresser. The ceiling, the foot of my bed, the headboard, if I strain backward. My options for variety of scenery are limited. I envy those people who are able to, as they say, relax, either for mere hours before they are scheduled to get up anyway, or for whole days and weeks while they are on vacation. Relaxing means doing absolutely nothing, getting more tanned, reading trash, contemplating nothing more onerous than the variety of meat on the barbecue. I envy that mind-clearing ability right now. Ah, to sit and just wait for the digital minutes to go by and never have to deal with the guilt or the need to do something productive, to do something. I manage to clear my mind, but it refills itself with images from my last months at Toronto U. A smile, though, a memory about triumph and satisfaction, petty though it might be, or seem. I remember the departmental meetings. The hateful department head held them regularly, chaired them while the secretary nervously took minutes, followed Robert's rules of order, and on and on. I made it my jejun mission to stall things as much as I could, hold up the whole meeting on one agenda item or point of order. My favorite was the call for approval of the minutes of the previous meeting, when I would question the details of the most insignificant occurrence, criticize the usage of words in the punctuation, always bringing my dictionaries and manuals along with me for props as much as for linguistic and syntactic authority and generally attempt to make my point, slender though it might have been, that these meetings were a waste of of my time, beneath me and the other scholars who attended. Some days I did secretly bemoan the sad irony that in order to prove that time was wasted, I was wasting even more, but on I pressed. Quote, I believe the recording in the previous minutes of the call for approval of the minutes before those is not accurate as to, unquote. I admit it openly here now, whereas it, then I was barely aware of it, that one of the main frustrations at Toronto U had nothing to do with the university at all, or at least not directly. It was the extraordinary and mysterious inability to have any of my research published. I had bouts of paranoia now and then, during which I imagined the department head or the entire department destroying my reputation with journal editors and academic book publishers. I dreamt of doors, very literal doors, being shut, abysses swallowing me up, 
a straitjacket barely able to contain my rage as I screamed about the ill treatment. More often, especially at the beginning, I was just puzzled. I talked to colleagues, perhaps the ones I should not have in retrospect, because I now realize that they disdained me and took enormous pleasure in my squirming. But back then I talked to them about the state of academic publishing, the sham of peer reviewing, the pathetic little productions that clogged the pages of what appeared to be pristine and stately journals. I have a great deal of confidence that things are different here and now in Nosting. I have not signed any deal with a commercial trade publisher, and I do not have a literary agent who could sell my wares, but I simply cannot believe that this story is not sellable. I hope that the reader will forgive me for being so crass and understand that, of course, I have nothing but sepulchral condolence for the victim's friends and families, and nothing but horrified outrage for the man who is trolling this fair city, committing these deeds. I am speaking now only in a very narrow range, and though what I say might look quite selfish when taken out of context, yet believe me when I say that I am on the side of right. Quote, you will not succeed here or not anywhere else, unquote. I remember the department head bellowing at me ungrammatically off the record in my last days at TU. We were squirreled away in his grubby but meticulously organized office, and he was fairly shouting at me at times, though that, so that as an unconscious coping mechanism, I found myself scanning his bookcases, a full three shelves of Hardy, with little handmade labels along the exposed particle board edges to separate Jude and the mayor and Tess, while he raved in a small-minded way, knowing that he was safely ensconced in deniability, officer. Here is one scenario which I imagine this warm summer night, the 1st of June, while I lie comfortably on my bed and the ceiling fan whooshes ever so lightly over me. The murders will stop either because the police get their fucking act together, thank you, O Raver, or because, quote, this goddamn psycho fucks out of, off out of town or kills himself, bis. There will be a flood of media coverage for a couple of weeks, including a pullout section in the Gazette with the timeline, a map of where all of the murders took place, cutie pie graphics, the whole bloody thing reduced to a sterile order, Photos of this protest, photos of that but partially fingerprinted weapon. Then, the pause. No special reports. The face-painted kids with ice cream back on the front page during the busker festival. Everything is back to normal. There is the occasional ejaculation of outrage. Someone on the late news, perhaps, earnestly reminding us not to get too comfortable again. But eventually he starts to seem like a bit of a quack and dear dull mediocrity ultimately asserts herself. I believe I will have hit my perfect stride by then. The research will have been, say, 90% finished, and I will just have that tip of the ice pick, which murder was that again, bit to top it all off with. Seriously, though, and with another metaphor, I predict that I will simply have to tie together this the disparate threads of violence and depravity that I have, will have already noted. The piece that I have forthcoming in the Gazette this weekend is but the most obvious of the distillations of the plethora of facts that I have made. I also already have pages of handwritten notes, 
blue ink on wide-ruled yellow paper. A full nine hours of interviews of everyone from the chief of police on down to the raver and other assorted lunatics from whom I'd hoped to glean at least some insight. 332 KB of word-processed words. I am fully confident that it will take, not take me long to stand back, attack it all, and have it in the form of a highly saleable manuscript for publishers or agents. Forgive this crudity, but I even see a bidding war, five digits easily rolling over to six, and then, well, who knows. I do have pure motives, though perhaps my insistence on this throws the sincerity of that assertion into question. Of course, there is an admixture of something negative, even evil, in all human endeavors, and my writing initiative is no different in this regard. As I have freely admitted already, I do want to prove to certain troglodytes at a certain university at which I was formerly employed that I was, and remain, a scholar of distinction, a master researcher who is able to divert his skills from the academic to the criminal, from keyboards to killers. If I have anything to do with it, my former department had finished off with a pathetic little flourish. I needn't mention, perhaps, that the relationship had deteriorated to that of angry, barely coherent boys in a playground or junkyard dogs scrapping over the remains of some bloody sustenance. This dumb, callous dismissal is but one of the panoply of reasons which motivate me, and one of the minor ones, if I may say so. Yes, a desire to prove myself and to prove an idiot wrong is part of my innervation, but mostly it is, and my apologies if this sounds a little hokey, a sincere belief in the value of the project. People are killed, the efficacy of the police investigation leaves something to be desired, and the best service that a scholarly writer can provide is, well, writing. I am not particularly proud of this component of my motivation, but I can say with some integrity that the greater part of it derives from a need to try to help a city track down an evil at its core, or at least to report succinctly on the results, the repercussions, the lessons, yes, the facts, when hopefully this whole sorry mess is cleaned up by someone in authority. That brother whom I saw crying on the television news the other night, standing with his mother but now bereft of his sister, he and others animate me in my just but modest, modest cause. I hardly remember his words at all, but there was a kind of confidence and integrity in the way he said what he said. It was brilliantly, sadly obvious that he was so devastated by the death my sister, my best friend, my life, he said, that he cared not a whit about appearances. The tears rolled down and marked the front of his beige shirt, but he talked on and wiped his forearm across his face in the most distracted manner, as if he were operating outside of intention, and it was his practical body doing for him what his debilitated mind was no longer able to. It is for him and some other suffering victims that I am determined to find this killer. <laughs>